I'm Amber Tresca, and this is About IBD. I'm a medical writer and patient educator who lives with a J pouch due to ulcerative colitis. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. Welcome to episode 124. My guest is Lauren Thibodeau. As of this recording, she is a graduate student and a golfer at the University of Louisville. She also lives with celiac disease and ulcerative colitis. While she was undergoing treatment for the ulcerative colitis, she developed another complication called medical catatonia. She would get stuck and couldn't move, or she wouldn't be able to answer questions or do routine things like brush her teeth. She had to work hard to come back, both physically and cognitively. At first, she was only allowed to go out to the golf course and take 10 swings at a time. But less than a year later, she was not only back to golfing, she was playing some of the best games of her life. Plus, she has gone on to tell her story in different media outlets and win several awards. She shares what kept her motivated during the long and difficult recovery and how it changed her perspective on her golf game, as well as her outlook on life. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on about IBD. I'm really excited to talk with you. Hi, Amber. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here and get to share my story. Great. So, Lauren, I wonder if you would take a minute first and just introduce yourself briefly. Yes. Um, I'm on the University of Louisville women's golf team, and I live with ulcerative colitis now for two years. Right. And that is why, well, first you reached out to me. Yes. Because <laughs> you had some major stuff going on uh, in in the, your golfing world, which I don't understand at all. So <laughs> you'll have to forgive my ignorance on all of this, but I'm sure you will explain it to me. So, but what I was interested in most was how you went through a really difficult diagnosis journey and you had a lot of different things going on. I read some of the write-ups because you are golf famous. <laughs> um, and the thing about it was, is that I have a strong suspicion that maybe the whole story isn't being told there, or maybe it's not quite coming from your voice. So I really wanted to have the opportunity to hear it from you and hear what happened because it's really pretty wild. You were diagnosed first with celiac disease, and then came the ulcerative colitis diagnosis. This was between 2019 and 2021, and there were some twists along the way. It sounds like a really frightening time for you and your whole family. So I wonder if you would start by taking me through how it all began for you and then how you ended up in this hospital stay that changed so much of your life. Yes, it's it's very uh, long and complex story. So yeah, kind of talking about the other people that have written about it, it's just hard to get it all um, right. But first with the, the celiac diagnosis, it was my freshman year in college. And just I'd always had migraines since I was little, but it just got really a lot worse. And just couldn't figure out what it was. And then that spring, I was diagnosed with celiac disease through endoscopy. And that just, it was a lot of change just going to gluten-free and all that. But um, once I changed the diet, I just felt like there was something else missing. Then that fall of 2020, we were actually had like half in-person classes here in um, Louisville. So kind of far away from my doctors in Boston and just started to 
not feel good. Just kind of the classic, you know, I guess IBD symptoms just was getting the runs and then like blood in the stool and stuff like that. I just thought it was normal. My 21st birthday, which was on Thanksgiving that year, I only had two gluten-free pancakes and that was all I ate the whole day. Mm. Um, I think that's when my family, especially my mom was like, there's something wrong and like started to get a fever. And then um, had seen my doctor once and she we scheduled like colonoscopy, but just didn't realize how severe it was. So decided to bring me to the um, emergency room on the 5th of December of 2020. And that was kind of the, the start of it. Um, didn't know then obviously I would be there for 55 days. It's pretty, pretty unreal for sure. Within the week, they had me in for um, colonoscopy and they weren't even able to finish it just because of all the blockages and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But then it kind of went to the treatment part, you know, trying to figure out what medicine to you know, stop it or get the symptoms down. And then they, they tried this, what they call like an antibiotic cocktails is a bunch of four different antibiotics to try to stop it um, and help it and still wasn't quite working. So they, they gave me a choice. Basically I could choose um, to on this other drug that was very, had a lot of side effects Mm -hmm. um, called tacrolimus, or Mm -hmm. I could go and do a surgery to remove my colon. Right. And, but I don't think I realized how severe it was until like that moment when, and even just having like the surgeon in there just was like, just like, it's like, really, this is happening. And I think at that point it was kind of funny. I was thinking very like short term, like, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to do this because I want to be back to golfing in the spring and stuff like that. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. you know, like really like your health is like number one thing. Um, right. But decided to do the, the tacrolimus and, of course. Um, but basically that was the deciding factor that I would be in the hospital through Christmas because of them having to watch for, you know, those side effects and things like that. So that was really hard on my my family for sure. It really does sound like they were throwing everything at you. Like they really were nothing was helping. Yeah. And and on top of this, I realized I didn't say this at the beginning. I was at Boston Children's Hospital, which right. again, like it's one of the best hospitals in the world. Yes. I'm a little biased, but it is. No, um, it is. And truly. So, yeah. Um it was kind of like I think it was definitely hard for us that like, yes, you know, they're like, these are the best doctors and they still have like, no, they are like just trying anything they can right. think of. Um, right. But yeah, they were very, very supportive. And on top of this too, um, it was the middle of COVID, like it was end of 2020. So they're right. like, it was pretty crazy to be there. Like once the vaccines were all like the nurses were just getting the vaccines and everything was coming out and that made it even harder. Like my brother, um, who was... I think I want to say it was 12 or 13 at the time he couldn't come in to see yeah. me only like I could only have one parent mm. in at a time which yes. luckily if I wasn't in the children's hospital that wouldn't have been a ca- the case so absolutely I got yeah. lucky in that one but um, yeah. we just figured out a way like going downstairs and looking through like the glass windows and we'd call like each other through the phone oh and gosh. see each other so we got we got creative and later on we realized that I could actually get go outside of the hospital so they brought my dog right. one time like just into the like lobby area and we all um, got to see each other. But yeah, it was, it was definitely tough on our whole family. First of all, you're dealing with some new diagnoses, not used to the ebb and flow of the hospital situation. And then all of that on top of it. That's, mm-hmm. oh, that, that's a lot. It's a lot on you and it's a lot on your family. So what happened after that? Yeah, so they, it was a lot of things. Basically, the doctors said that like the storm in my gut went to my brain basically on, on Christmas Day, you know, of all of all days it could be yeah. um, just 
So just because of all the side effects from tacrolimus, they thought maybe that was the, the deal. But basically, I went to the state of medical catatonia. So I was I get stuck in like certain positions and I was hard to like talk at times. But then other times I just saying things that were just way out of the ordinary. Like I would just never say. And one was they would ask, like, who's the current president? And one time I said JFK. So like just stuff <laughs> that like you would never know. Like I never thought I would ever say. Right. Yeah. That was a little before your time as well. <laughs> uh, yeah. I did realize that it could be it was a tough question because I was in the hospital while, you know, Biden was president. So it's tricky question. <laughs> yeah. It's an yeah. unreal situation. It really is. You when you're in the hospital like that, dealing with so much, reality is so far away from you. Like, I don't yeah. even know that it's good to ask people those kinds of questions <laughs> because it does not feel like any kind yeah. of real life at all. Plus, then you had these neurological symptoms. Yeah. So how did they... Oh, I can't even imagine. I think I read that, you you know, like you were brushing your teeth and you'd get stuck. Like, yeah. how did that all... Like, what was that like? Yeah, so it was... I remember very little, like, bits of it. I think I remember the beginning because it was kind of very like traumatic when it kind of first happened felt like there was these thoughts that were like not for me that were just like coming in like couldn't like control it was very weird and then just kind of seeing like the surroundings but not being able to like do anything or like just was very weird and then the memory kind of from it I don't remember too much but the Mm -hmm. the toothbrushing it was they had like a a sign about how to brush your teeth on like next to like where the sink was because I couldn't remember how to do that and then um yeah, it just was a lot of like little like weird things, just like need help putting on my clothes. Like it just was. And then one time my mom came in and I didn't know who she was. And I oh. luckily don't like remember that, but it's just yeah. so like crazy. Yeah. It's kind of better that you don't remember that because that's that's a lot to, to deal with. Were you aware of what was happening? Were you aware that you weren't quite connecting the dots on certain things? Yeah, I think a little bit. I think it was more like, I just didn't know what was like happening around me. Like it just was a lot Mm -hmm. of like weird things. Like I remember watching a lot of like movies and then like I called some of my teammates that are from Europe and it'd be at like, you know, about 11 or like midnight here. So it was like five in the morning, just FaceTiming them. Um, One time I like (laughs) FaceTimed with my teammates and I was like, hi. And then she was like, hi. And then I hung up and I was like, what did you do that? (laughs) And so, and I was like, oh, I just want to make sure she was okay. Is what I said. So that's why. Like there's but still you parts told of me her that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, there's still parts of me that was like there, but it just was um it was hard to see and it was hard for like obviously I want my dad to like my brother to see that and yes. you know, being like on paper, like my symptoms were like um autoimmune encephalitis. But why I wasn't diagnosed with that was all the EEGs and like the CAT scans and stuff, which they did like way too many tests on stuff yeah. like that on me. All of them came back negative for that. So that's why they went with the medical catatonia um, diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. So that just made it hard to, again, like the best doctors in the world and they don't know. Um, <laughs> and again, the only good thing was that my colitis was under control for some like reason, like it clicked. So that's why they think maybe that antibiotic cocktail might have helped, but maybe it was right. the tacrolimus. Like they, just, they right. don't know. It's like a mystery, but it's a, it's a good mystery in that case. <laughs> I mean, in, a, in a way, um, you yeah. had to go through hell to get the ulcerative <laughs> colitis under control. Yeah. They figured out that it was probably a side effect. Yeah. Did they then discontinue all yes. these things like, that you were on? Right away, like the tacrolimus, they stopped it. Mm-hmm. And then I had I was on like other medications, too, for the, the colitis and they kept those because sure. it wasn't 
a problem they didn't think. Mm-hmm. They started me in a lot of stuff for um, to kind of get these neurological issues kind of under control and see. And because it would take like a half hour to like just take my medicines because I was like, I couldn't like the attention and it'd be like, okay, Lauren, like put the pill in your mouth and then swallow. Like it was just was right. very like. You had to be given like every single step along the way. It's not just like here, take this pill. You yeah. had to be told, put it in your hand. Now put the pill in your mouth. Yeah. Now swallow. Oh my gosh. And taking like 15, 20 pills or whatever right, it was. Right. Like yeah. it did take a while, but still. Take a while. So they're like, this isn't working. You're not seeing improvements. There was a whole week that I didn't talk at all. That's what my mom oh my said. Oh gosh. And so then they were like, okay, we're going to have to go to kind of like these extreme treatments. So they brought up about ECT, which is electroconvulsive therapy. Because mm-hmm. my mom being a clinical psychologist, like when she went to um, doctor at school, she saw this actually someone getting this treatment done. Right. So I think it was really hard on her, but she knew yeah. there's obviously a lot of positives to it. They took me by ambulance to, to Mass General for the first mm-hmm. treatment. And mm-hmm. again, I think I didn't really know what was really happening kind of later on in the treatments. I think is when I realized like basically they're inducing a seizure in my brain to like reset my brain. Basically, the first treatment, they I had what they call like a robust response. And it really, mm-hmm. they're kind of amazed. They thought it, wouldn't, it would take about 10 treatments to see progress. So mm-hmm. they were really pleased with that. And so we continued in for a while. I think about a month, it was three treatments a week. So it was a lot. But um, that first week that they did the treatments, I showed so much progress that I did get, um, what do they call it? I got, I was able to leave the hospital after right. the, okay. the first, discharge. first week discharge. I'm like, yeah. Like, come on, don't forget any more words. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that was really great because, you know, even though I wasn't totally better, it was really that progress was all I, you know, really wanted them to be kind of with my whole family. It was really great. So you were released from the hospital. You had a lot going on. You had some new diagnoses. You had all these neurological issues that were happening. What did they do for you so that you had a program at home that was bringing you back to physical and also mental health so that you could go back to not, not just yeah. you know brushing your teeth without instructions, <laughs> but, you know, you had a life and, and a career and, you know, that you wanted to get back to? Yes. Yeah, that was it was a lot. I think at first they thought I was going to have to go to like a rehab facility, too. Yeah. Um, but luckily, because of all the progress, I was able to go home, which was good because, again, all the covid protocols and those hospitals, too, um, yeah. would have made it hard. It just was a lot of checkups. And obviously, I was still going into Boston, do the ECT treatments mm-hmm. multiple times a week. The big help for me was this um, our physical therapist I'd always gone to since I was kind of younger. I was being a golfer, getting a few right. injuries, but um, we have one person there that kind of specializes in neuro PT. So she would be, I'd be like standing on one, well, obviously eventually, but like standing on one foot on like BOSU and then like having to write with different color crayons, like different letters. So it was like, oh, I wow. was working like my whole kind of like whole body, but also like my brain and trying brain. to like get all that together. Um, and then the other thing that was big was uh, I did speech therapy, obviously mm-hmm. because of like, I couldn't even the word finding was really hard yeah and like to focus and really it's it's come a long way since then and even just within the year it was 
almost back to to normal. So it was a lot of like practicing and and stuff like that. Because I mean, even just like not being around very many people, like you don't realize how your words like kind of your word finding skills and just creativity, I guess I'd say kind of go down and and communication and stuff like that. Not being able to golf, that was definitely, (laughs) definitely hard. But um, they... It was a couple months and then they let me swing. I'd only get to do like 10 swings a day. So that was kind of hard too. But I was like really just happy just to do anything. Did you cheat? No, actually. I was, I was, I don't know how I didn't, but I, um, I just, I really was really kind of like stayed like my course mm-hmm. and didn't really, I was actually reading something today that I had written that was like, I really, there's some things I wanted to like jump kind of like ahead. But then yes. I was like, really just need to like, just take kind of like the little baby steps kind of toward the direction you got to go. And that's kind of how I got it done, I guess. Right. Yeah. But being told that you can't do the thing that is most important and impactful to you is really just, it, it's the worst. Yeah. Um, so yeah, wanting to get back to it, it was definitely, you were playing the long game yeah. there, trying to get through all of this. <laughs> I think also it was hard because a lot of the doctors were like, thinking that like they're comparing comparing it to like hockey players or like football players and it's like golf is so much different and a lot of it was just like even just going out and being outside on the golf course or whatever it was like it's very like peaceful to me so it was like Mm kind of hard to not have that but that was good at least to have like a cap again in a way to just only have to be able to do like 10 swings because you can definitely overdo it even though it's just a simple little movement. Sure. Well, yes, but it's not a simple movement after you've been hospitalized, yeah. you know, largely in a ho- in a bed. I yeah. mean, you know, you get up and walk around, but it's not the same at all. You get deconditioned really quickly, yeah. I think. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It it was and I yeah, cuz I obviously like lost a lost a lot of weight when I was in there too and then yeah. um I think the whole body just in general cuz then just go, you know, now you're on steroids or whatever and yeah. And then the only other thing, too, is like that recovery process. It was all going good. And then till the end of March, I started getting like really fatigued. I like went up a flight of stairs and my heart rate was 170. And we were like, what's wrong? Right. And I right. immediately went actually because I have thyroid issues. But it was actually my hemoglobin was four. So what? that was issue. Oh and they, my gosh. Yeah. So I went to the ER again. That was there for three days because they're like, you know, go in there like, why are you bleeding? And I'm like, I'm not bleeding anywhere. Like I'm not, I'm fine. Like, I don't know what this deal is. They, they thought it maybe was a side effect of um, one of my medicines for my, mm-hmm. for my gut, which was sulfasalazine. They thought maybe yeah. Um, yeah. that could lead to like anemia and stuff like that. Sure. Um, which I have realized like since then, just reading stuff that that's a common thing too with people with colitis get that. Um, and it's definitely scary when they're like, yeah, we don't really know why this happened. Like, again. <laughs> um, and they just treat it. They yeah. can't tell you why it's happening. All they, all they could do is, like, fix you up and, yeah. I'm assuming, give you a blood transfusion yep. or two and send got, you like, on your way. I think I had was it three or four. I had, like, four or five, I think, in, like, oh a couple days. Yeah, it was, it was insane. Yeah. And, um, but, I mean, obviously, at that point, I'm not afraid of the, the needles after all the other, no, other but stuff. I think there's something really wild and I, I found it really scary to get a blood transfusion it just seemed like wow I'm really sick but you know what I mean like yeah. all the other stuff didn't really bring that point home but getting a blood transfusion did that for me maybe by that point you'd had worse so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know I think I was just like 
I'm back here again. But I think the scary part of that one was they thought like they're like, oh, maybe you have leukemia. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're just going to say oh that like God. out of yeah, nowhere. No, thank you. And no, then thank you. Um, so they did like the the testing for that. And then it's like you have to wait like a day and a half for the results. It's like it's like the yeah. longest time ever. Yeah. Um, but that came back negative. So it's kind of one of those things where like, well, what's the deal now? Like, what's the problem? But they put me on like another another immunosuppressant drug try to you know just add to the list um (laughs) and um it did help and i haven't you know they kept a close eye on me for sure for yeah um, next year and now off that medicine too which is just great so this was where are we now we're we're in like march 2021 that time frame so when was it that you were able to go back to golfing and go back to school yeah so before that, I was able to like swing a little bit, but I still was, they're very cautious. But after that, I remember because obviously I was kind of disappointed because I'm like, oh, this is going to yeah. bring me back a little bit, like again, you know? Yeah. And I asked the doctor, like, hey, when can I golf again? And he's like, if you want to, like today, like, you know, like it doesn't matter, oh. like you're good. And I was like, I think that was the first oh. time someone had said that. And I was like, yeah. what? Like, you know? <laughs> um, so I was able to practice a little bit more. Um, I had had a tournament planned for like the beginning of May, mm-hmm. but it was um, probably not a good idea anyway because it was 36 holes, yeah. which is two like 18 hole rounds in one day. Yeah. So I don't, I would never have been able to do that physically at that point. And so my next tournament at that point was at the beginning of June in Florida. And luckily, a lot of my tournaments that summer, I was dri- riding carts, which normally isn't typical for <laughs> amateur golf, but um, right. I was it just coincidentally worked out like that um because mm-hmm. it's just that was probably the hardest part for me was like the getting my energy up and then especially when it's hot out this we're out there for five hours at sometimes that's just not even counting really like the warm-up so it's a lot of it was a lot to build up up to um and really i kind of played well really out of the gate and it kind of was a little surprising really the highlight of the the summer was in august it was the last tournament it was our new hampshire stadium right before I was heading back to school, which obviously that was a process to get all signed back up again and head back to school. Yeah. This is a long road back. I can imagine that there would be people that would have dropped certain things along the way and not tried to go back like this. What kept you going? What kept you moving forward? Well, I would definitely say that I'm just the type to kind of just go like all anime I feel like sometimes that can <laughs> that can hurt me because it's like oh yeah I can do it all and type thing but um really for me like I don't know I just had this like belief that I'd be able to like get to play golf and go back to school again and I mean really for me the big thing was I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to graduate just because of I still had a good amount of courses left and just mm-hmm. didn't know how I would be on the mental side but yeah I think really for me kind of since that one Instead of time, just making the little goals and just trying not to push myself too hard, but like just sit right now and really didn't let myself like think ahead too much. I think mm-hmm. once our fall season was over, I kind of was like, what, what just happened? Like, what did I just do? Like, I, you know, <laughs> just played the best golf really in my whole time in college and like, wow, doing all this other stuff. So I felt like I was not just playing for myself really anymore. Like, I mean, I was like mm-hmm. playing for my team and like my state and like my other friends and family but I felt like I was playing for the other people that have like chronic illnesses and Mm -hmm. that like can't do what they love to do and so I kind of was like glad that I was given this like second opportunity to be able to play the sport I love and that kept you moving forward yeah yeah that's a lot of inspiration to take with you as you said you were playing the best golf of your life to the point where you've now 
won, I'm sure you've won many awards over the years, <laughs> but you reached out to me about the, about the Honda Inspiration Award, mm-hmm. which you won. Yeah. And then also you won the Kim Moore Spirit Award. And so tell me about these. Tell me about what that was like and and what what does this what does this mean to you? What did this mean to your parents, to your family? Yeah. So I think the the first one was the um the Kim Moore Spirit Award. It really um the Kim Moore Spirit Award is just specifically for like division 1 um golfers mm-hmm. and having gone through experience adversity like throughout at some point in their college um, career, but then come back, like had come back from it. That was one of the things I think I was very driven to try to win for, you know, playing well in the fall and then into the spring. But then we played a tournament that was on um, national television in the early spring in March. And they, mm-hmm. my coach was like, do you want to share your story? And like, they're willing to do like our university is willing to do a special video on you. And um, I think I was very, very shocked and especially being a golfer like oh yeah you're gonna be on golf channel like I'm like what you know and so we went through it and they did it they did a great job and and so my academic um advisor um reached out to me and he was like hey like there's this award I think you'd be a good fit for um mm-hmm. and then someone else in the faculty like emailed like next week and was like hey I think she should apply for this too so it was really funny like it's multiple people yeah. and it was the Honda Inspiration Award and again I was mm-hmm. like what is this like obviously you can kind of get a little bit from the name but yeah it's basically um all these all female athletes in division one two or three can apply and they have to be through have gone through like medical issue or an injury and there's like all sorts of obviously things it could be um but it being like all sports in all divisions for mm-hmm. women's collegiate athletics was like whoa this is like a big deal yeah. So it could also be basketball, volleyball, like anything, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The previous one, previous person had gone through I think multiple like heart surgeries. So, and then came back and was like runner up in national championship. So I was like, whoa, like, I don't know if I can do that second part, <laughs> but we'll give it a shot, you know? But um, I think obviously I think they would rank like higher if you, you know, played better, but for kind of all in all, it was mostly like the mm-hmm. story and, I see how like inspirational it was. And so my coach was very much like, we can do this. Like we're going to, you're going to win this and stuff like that. And um, after our season ended, they reached out and said I was a finalist. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? Like that just let alone was just like, and it was big, like three finalists, I think. Right? Yeah. So you were one of yeah. three. Yeah. Um, and at first I had no idea how many either. Like there, it was very like, didn't get very much information. Um, yeah. And then they're like, yeah, so CBS Sports is going to come next week and do a like a story on you. And, and like, they're going to come and interview it. And I was like, what? Like, yeah. you're kidding me? And so they came out to our golf course and it was, they were there for not like they interviewed one of my teammates and my coach too. But, yeah. but yeah, so it was that uh, the whole process and then they um they told me that I had I had one and I had to keep it a secret for like a month so that was <laughs> that was oh great. you did <laughs> yeah oh my gosh. so it was like they they did announce it a little bit earlier I think than they right I was kind of told but on top of that just was really great to to share my story kind of with the the whole world and um you know it wasn't even like a year and a half or around there since I was discharged so really just just blessed that Honda really gave me the opportunity and the, that they thought my my story was um, a real inspiration. So, Right. It's a huge contrast when you compare where you were 
at that point in your journey and then where you are now. And every person's journey with IBD is unique. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yours, I mean, you didn't really have to go all in on being <laughs> unique like that, you know, but you really brought something new to it. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. So I'm wondering, having been through all of this, do you have any advice? Do you have any words of wisdom to people who are recently diagnosed and are looking to come through their journey and get back to what they love doing? Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing is to just keep fighting and like, you know, if you want to do something or really whatever it is that you're definitely like capable of it, there's nothing really, you know, stopping you. I think Um, it obviously is kind of daunting and overwhelming when it's like, oh, you have a chronic illness and um, that you're going to have for the rest of your life. But um, I think there's still so much more that we can do really the health is like the most important thing I think that's for me that's kind of put things in perspective even just like well I don't you know if I don't have a good day on the golf course well you know at least I'm healthy and like able to play I think it's um I really think the perspective I've come I've gotten from this whole hospitalization this whole journey has really kind of helped me in life and kind of everything Mm mm-hmm Yeah. And it'll take you forward through everything else that is to come. Hopefully you won't ever face anything as challenging as this ever again. That is my wish for you. (laughs) Lauren, after your recovery, what would you say are the top high points of your golfing career? Yes. So I'd say there's probably two, two really big high points. But the first one was in August, I was just getting prepped for coming back in the fall to college golf and played in our New Hampshire State Am, which I had won um, two years before that, but just meant more, obviously, coming back to the recovery. And the first round, I shot 64, which was eight under par, and um, broke the course record at the golf course. So that was, um, it was just was great, just amazing, something I never would have thought I would do, like, so early on after um, my hospitalization. And then, and then I ended up winning the tournament. Um, which just was just good confidence boost heading into the the season. And then I started playing, you know, I was playing pretty well in the in the fall season. And then our third tournament, we were in Chicago and I shot the last two rounds. I shot 68, um, 68, um, which was the best um, out of anyone. The last two rounds of the three rounds that we played and uh, was tied for third for the tournament out of, I think I want to say there was 90 people playing. Um, mm-hmm. So it was my best finish by far. I think before it was about like 10th place, I'd say. And then we won as a team, which always is just, you know, is this great to um, have a team win. And we came from behind and it was a really good field. So I think I just didn't know if I'd, you know, be able to be with the whole team and that we'd win um, together, you know, again. Um, and then to, it just felt like finally, you know, I've been practicing so hard and um, to finally get, you know, third place finish was just, it was just amazing and just was really can't put into words really. So what's next? You're you're doing the grad school thing, right? And mm-hmm. then and then what does the next couple of years look like for you? Yeah. So really, I think the first part was 
um, I somehow graduated in the spring kind of with everything else. That was kind of the first part. Um, and I was able to graduate, um, like walk early in the spring, um, Mm -hmm. with my, with my teammate and like my actual class. And so that was, that really meant a lot because I think that really was the biggest accomplishment for me really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And then, so I'm doing a graduate certificate in, um, data science so it's a little bit different than <laughs> economics but i really like um like data analytics and things like that and um i really want to kind of put together like my love of like golf and sports and kind of like my math kind of background um and if yeah. i was doing like sports statistics that would be kind of the the goal for me and the um lpga is they're just kind of starting that program so mm-hmm. it'd kind of be fun to do to do that if i'm not um playing professionally that's kind of the that's the number one goal mm-hmm. and dream but um i think i just don't know where you know i'm going to be with my with my health you know we think the sure. best case scenario but it's um it's hard to to be out there um it's a lot on your body so mm-hmm. kind of having kind of two really good um scenarios is really the ideal for me so mm-hmm. Yeah, I I knew what you were studying, and then I was trying to think about how it related to golf. Not that it has to yeah. relate to golf, but I was trying. So thank you for putting that together yeah. for me. That makes perfect sense that you would go into something in statistics for for sports. That makes perfect sense. So yeah, for sure. But I'll definitely have golf for the for the rest of my life. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I want people to be able to find you after mm-hmm. they listen to this and follow along your journey so that they can see what is next for you. Mm-hmm. Where can people follow you on the interwebs? Yes. So on Instagram, that's mainly where I am. It's Lauren under dash T under dash 99. And then on Twitter, it's uh, Lauren golf 247. But I usually don't go too much on on Twitter kind of in the future. I really want to do some more stuff with um colitis and kind of spend spreading that awareness and when I originally knew I was going to be on the or they were going to do a story about me and I was going to be on the golf channel that was kind of the first thing one of the things I said it's like well I want to help out others and if the, you know helping them you know realize that you know maybe they should go get help and some of the symptoms and things like that you know that aren't okay to just be living with that really meant a lot to me and I hope to help more in the future well We can certainly help you out with that. I will definitely get you going on the Twitters because that's a great community to be in. And uh, you've already clearly had a significant impact and I know you'll continue to do so. I look forward to watching that. And so thank you so much for coming on about IBD. I appreciate your time. I'm so glad you reached out to me. I don't know that I would have found you had you not. So... Uh, that's a, also a reminder to people to, hey, you know, connect with with people in the community and, yeah, uh, sure. you know, get get your story out there. Don't be afraid to to do that at all. So thank you so much for talking with me. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do next. Great. Thank you so much, Amber. It's been a pleasure. Hey, super listener. Thanks to Lauren Thibodeau for taking me through her journey. The complications she experienced aren't going to be common, but her story of persevering is one to which we can all relate. Changing our perspective on what our limits are and what we can achieve is one of the gifts that living through difficult health problems gives us. I got connected to Lauren because she reached out to me on Instagram 
And you can follow her at Lauren underscore T underscore 99. You can also find her on the Twitter at LT Golf 24 7. Links to a written transcript, everyone's social media handles, and more information on the topics we discussed is in the show notes. And it's on my episode 124 page on aboutibd.com. You can follow me, Amber Tresca, across all social media as About IBD. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. About IBD is a production of Malintel Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresca. Mix and sound design is by Matt Cooney. Theme music is from Cooney Studio. What is your favorite color? Ooh, green. Yeah, but kind of green. Technically, like lime green, but okay, not like not like grass green. No, 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 <laughs> not like golf course you would grass think. green. I mean, it is. I mean, in a way, you want to hit the green, but.